the beginning of chapter 3, and it's on page 1202. Hebrews chapter 3, and on page 1202, and Kay is going to come and read it to us. After Kay has read, we'll sing again, and then after we've sung, uh, Daph will come and bring God's word to us. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tried and tested me Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed entered that rest, just as God has said. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. 
Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Please speak to us corporately. Please, as we hear your voice today, give us hearts that are soft to what you have to say to us, that we might meet it with faith and obedience in our Lord Jesus Christ, for his name's sake. Amen. There is actually always a moment of decision, isn't there? You know, some of you have made that moment of decision now. You're trying to settle down into uh, your seats to relax. By the way, you won't be able to do that unless you're in club class at the back there. The rest of you are in desperately uncomfortable seats. Uh, you can make a moment of decision. You're going to check Facebook over the next 20 minutes, you know, catch up on your emails. I've seen people do that on a Sunday, um, ironically sitting beside the pastor, which I thought showed a certain degree of boldness. <laughs> certain freedom in Christ I wasn't expecting? Or are, are you going to listen to what God has to say? And see, my, my problem isn't really actually with listening. Um, I've got a blocked right here at the moment. We were on holiday last week in uh, Devon. My wife, Boo, was sitting beside me in church. She kept speaking to me, hadn't a clue what she was saying. She kept asking me, who's that? I went, who's who? In one of those sort of stage whispers that meant everyone around us could hear it. But, but, but my problem primarily isn't with what I hear. It's the way I react to what I hear. So a lot of the time, I hear exactly what my wife Boo says, but I choose not to do it. In fact, it's worse than that, isn't it? Sometimes I choose not to do it simply because she said it. There's there's within me this inner reaction of, someone has told me what to do. And I don't know if you, maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe I am the least pleasant husband in the world. But there's that, that sort of welling up feeling of, I do not want to do that now. It seems like quite a good idea until they spoke it, and then it became a bad thing. We harden our hearts. And the problem, you see, is not with what we hear, but the way we react to it. And that's exactly the same problem that comes with the Word of God. It was riddled through our passage. Do you remember it? Chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Chapter 3, verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Chapter 4, and verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, we're wired to reject what God has to say to us. In fact, our our culture emphasizes that, doesn't it? Our culture says no one's got the right to tell you what to do. In fact, no one's got the right to tell you who you are anymore. You can self-identify. You can define yourself as a goldfish, and I am going to be had up for a hate crime if I try and tell you you're not a goldfish. Self-identify. No one has the right to tell you what you can do or who you are. And of course, we love that internally. Our hearts harden in our self-desire to do what I want. And the challenge from God's Word is not to harden our hearts. Now, now I guess if you're not a Christian here this morning, it's it's great that you're here, but even if you don't believe in this God, I guess you can accept the idea that if there is a God, and if He does speak to us, surely the most important issue that we have is whether we're going to listen to what He says and act 
act on it. And that's what this, this, this passage in Hebrews is about. So how, how do we not harden our hearts? Well, there are three things. Here's the first thing the writer says. He says, fix your thoughts on Jesus because of who he is. Fix your thoughts on Jesus because of who he is. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. That, uh, therefore, actually throws us back into what we saw last week in chapter 2. We saw how the Lord Jesus, though he was higher than the angels, became a man so that he could call us his brothers and sisters. We're now holy brothers and sisters. Jesus is unashamed of us. If you're a Christian here this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ is not ashamed of you. You might be ashamed of yourself, but he is not ashamed of you because of what he's made you. You see, he is your apostle. He was sent by God to be your high priest. And we saw in chapter 2 what that meant. That Jesus took on flesh and became one of us so he could go to the cross and defeat the devil, smash death for us at the cross, so that he could be one who suffered in our place, atoning, taking God's punishment for our sin, so that now we are totally cleansed if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand before God with a purity that is given us by him. So you might be ashamed of what you did last week, but Jesus has cleansed you, so he's not ashamed of you. And more than that, we saw last week that Jesus took on flesh and lived as a human so he could help us as we are tempted. Because he knows what it is to be a human and to obey God in heaven day by day. What a battle that is. And so you might be ashamed of the way that you've fallen into temptation last week, or maybe just through the way you've been such a battle to live for Jesus day by day, but he's not ashamed of you because he knows it's tough. That's why he came to die for you and to cleanse you. That's, that's who you are. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on Jesus, the, the one who's been sent for you and the one who's, who's made you through his high priestly work, pure before God. Even more than that, the writer says, the one who is the best of the best in the Bible. Have a look at verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now, now of course, Moses was a huge deal for the, the first people who heard this. It's not really a letter, Hebrews. It's more of a sermon. Who heard this sermon in Hebrews? Because they were Jewish Christians. And Moses was the big Jewish leader of the Old Testament. He'd led God's people out of Egypt in the Exodus. Moses had been given God's law at Mount Sinai. But, but compared to Jesus, well, look at the comparison. It, it comes in verse 3. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. See, Moses, in the end, was just one of God's people, but Jesus is the one who makes God's people. In fact, the writer says in chapter 4, now you mention it, Jesus is the one who made everything. Moses' job, says the writer in verse 6, was to point forward to Jesus. But Jesus' job, we'll look down at verse 6, but Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. He's the one who rules over all of God's people. And we, according to verse 6, And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Jesus is the one 
who makes us into God's people. And that's exactly who we are, says the writer. If we hold firmly to our confidence. And that's not confidence in you, by the way. You know, the world says you need to have confidence in you. But, but this is confidence in Jesus. This isn't confidence in terms of, I really hope that I can keep going as a Christian. No, this is confidence in the one who was faithful to death for you, even though you are not faithful to him. You see, in the Bible, hope, confidence, hope is, is something that we can be certain of in the future because of what Jesus has done for us in the past. So today, I know that I can walk with confidence through the gates of heaven because in the past, Jesus has died and washed me clean of all my impurity and sin so that I can be with a perfectly pure God forever. That, that's, a, that's a hope of glory, a hope you can glory in, a, a hope you can rejoice in, because it's certain, because it's nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. So the writer says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Did you see, he doesn't expect this to happen naturally, does he? I mean, if it was going to happen naturally, he wouldn't say in verse 1, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And he wouldn't say in verse 6, hold firmly to your confidence. We actually have to deliberately act to think about how great Jesus is. I guess we don't do that naturally. Actually, so often, we just trip through basics of the Christian life, and they come out of our mouth with a sort of glibness. Oh, yeah, 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 Jesus died on the cross for me. Oh, yeah, I know, I know that. Jesus died for me. But, but, but saying, oh, Jesus died on the cross for me, it's a bit like saying, oh, that finest claret. No, it's just a drink. Or an Aston Martin Vantage. Oh, it's just a car. Or the Mona Lisa. It's just a picture. Whereas what the writer is wanting us to do is, is to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus and to fix our eyes on him. And so often we're like, um, I don't know if you've ever taken your kids when they're younger to an art gallery, you know, the National Gallery, thinking it's going to be educational, all those pictures. Yeah, I can take my boys to the National Gallery. And this is, this is them going to the National Gallery when they're younger. Yeah! Yeah, horse, dog, person. Can we go to the gift shop now? <laughs> it's what we're like in the Christian life. Whereas what the writer wants us to do is just stop. Look, Hebrews is, is like a, a, a gallery with picture after picture of picture of Jesus. Look, look, here he is. He's, he's become a man so he knows what it is to, to be tempted so he can help you. And here he is. He's on the cross. He's smashing the devil for you. And therefore, you're set free from the fear of death. And look, here he is. He's, he's shedding his blood for your sins so you're perfect. Will you just pause for a moment and fix your eyes on Jesus? Just slow down. The gift shop can wait. Fix your eyes on Jesus. If you're, if you're not a Christian here yet, by the way, that's what we, we want to love to help you do. We, it's why we're doing this thing called Word One-to-One. Um, it, it's just fixing your eyes on Jesus, really. It's reading the account of Jesus' life in, in John's Gospel. You get to do it with a mate, or if, if you haven't got a mate here who's a Christian, you can risk coming and asking me to have a coffee with you. And, and just over half an hour in a coffee, we look at an account of Jesus' life. And we just read it together. We, we try and help you look at Jesus. Because really, here's the best news in the world. 
That's the first thing. If you're not going to harden your heart to God's word, you've got to proactively fix your eyes on Jesus because of who he is. Here's, here's the second thing. He says we need to encourage one another because of who we are. You, you see, God's people have a history of not listening to him. In fact, the Old Testament is like a history of God's people hardening their hearts to his word. And what our writer does is he quotes, therefore, a psalm written by King David about a thousand years before Christ. It's Psalm 95. Uh, Have a look. It comes in verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Did you see how he starts the quote? So as the Holy Spirit says. So, So the Holy Spirit obviously said this through David a thousand years before Christ. But, but our writer is saying in the first century to early Christians, Hebrew Christians, look, the Holy Spirit is saying this to you guys. So I guess we'd say today, as the Holy Spirit says to us, CEC, Chesterton Evangelical Church, 2018, as the Holy Spirit says to us, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, now what David's writing about in Psalm 95 is those people that God had rescued from Egypt in the Exodus, in the book of Exodus. Uh, He took them through a variety of uh, miracles and amazing events to the edge of the promised land. And then he said, just walk in, I'm going to defeat all the guys in the promised land. And what they did in the book of Numbers, you can read about this in in Numbers 14, is they went, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) have you seen the size of the guys in there? We're not going in. And God said, "No, no, it's okay, I'll fight the battle, you walk in. No way, we're not going in. They harden their hearts. In fact, that's exactly what David says the issue is. Do you see down at verse 10 in that quote? I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. Right in the core of their being, that their hearts, the core of their their thinking, their, their loving, their will, they were always going away from God's word. And so God said, walk into the land, it's okay, it's your land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land I'm giving you. They said, not on your nelly, have you seen the size of those blokes? We're going to lose. And the result was disastrous, verse 11. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. They won't go in to enjoy the rest of that promised land, says God. If you don't want to go in, not going in is what you'll get. And therefore that generation wandered around the desert for 40 years until they died out, and it was finally their children who got to go into the promised land. And what the writer is saying is, hey guys, that's exactly what we're like. We have the same sort of heart. We have a heart that is by nature going to harden itself to what God says to us, however good the promise is. And therefore, this is what we need. Look, this is what we need in verse 12 and 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. There's the problem. Do you see the problem? A sinful, unbelieving heart. A God-rejecting heart. It's it's, it's so much easier, isn't it, to, to listen to popular psychology, which tells you, come on, think well of yourself. You know, find the good within Find the strength inside. Be good to yourself. Isn't it, isn't, isn't it, I think that might be the Asda low-fat variety, isn't it? Be good to yourself. You know, whereas, whereas the writer of the Hebrews, if the writer of the Hebrews had made up a low-fat variety, it'd be called, fat chuffer, eat this or die young. It's that sort of warning. He's saying, you've got an unbelieving heart. You need to take this very seriously. 
So how can we help each other? Well, verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, the problem in the book of Numbers is that they didn't encourage one another, they discouraged one another. So in Numbers 14 and verse 36, we read, So the men Moses had sent to explore the land, who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report. No, we need to be not like them. We need to encourage one another. We need each other. Did you see why? Did you see the repeated phrase in verse 12 and 13? Have a look down again. That none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. That none of you may be hardened in sin's deceitfulness. Not one full shot. Not one of you. And you see when we need encouraging, how we need to encourage one another? Verse 13, daily, as long as it's called today. I love that. It's a great phrase, isn't it? What's today? It's today. What, what will tomorrow be when it comes? Oh, it'll be today. Day after tomorrow, when we get there, that'll be today as well. As long as it's today, called today, we need encouraging. That'll be every day then. All the time, encouragement, daily. It's a, it's a bit like the, the American Marines and the old war films. We, we don't have too many sort of classic old war films anymore because we worked out that war was bad and therefore we kill aliens to try and invade the world instead because that's more politically correct. But in the, the old war films, yeah, the, the Marines, the great thing was we're not going to leave anyone behind. No one gets left behind. That was what they'd say. So, so, you know, you're in battle and someone's wounded. We've got to get Jim to the ship. We can't leave him behind. And, and you carry him all the way to the ship. No one gets left behind. But that's the church. That is the church. Is that how you came in this morning? Is that how you saw yourself? I'm here, and I'm part of, a, part of a team, part of a group, part of a family. And my job is we're going to encourage one another. Because it's today. I think today's called today. Yeah, it's Sunday, today. We need to encourage one another. So I want to ensure that all you guys, you keep going with Jesus and your heart's not hardened. And all you guys, you keep going with Jesus. We're here for one another. And I wonder who was sitting next to me last week. Are they here? They're not here. Perhaps they need encouraging today. We've come to to bind up the wounded and to carry them along in following Jesus and to, to speak a word of encouragement to the person who's struggling, to say something kind to the person who's downhearted. That's why we're here today. We're here for one another. It really is primarily not about what I've got to say to you. It's about what God says to you and then we say to one another, we're in this together. That there's a mutual care and responsibility. I mean, that, that is my pledge to you as a pastor. My pledge to you as a pastor is that I will do everything within my power and strength to see that you do not have a sinful, unbelieving heart. I want to encourage you. But it's not just me, it's, it's all of us. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. But because you see the monster within in, in verse 13 again? How is it described? Sin's deceitfulness. We, we've got an aggressive power in our heart and he doesn't play fair. He's a liar. He's deceitful. And the biggest lie of all is really you know best. 
No, no. He's been telling sin since, since Genesis 3 has always told us that we know best. No, really, you know best. You're too tired. You know best. It's been a busy week. You know best. Kids got to go to sport on Sunday morning. You know best. You know best. But actually what we need to do is point each other to the truth that we see in, in verse 14, that we share in Christ. That, that we're people who have a, a wonderful confidence that Jesus has done everything for us, so we must cling to him, hold firmly to him. And no one's above needing this encouragement. Look at verse 16. The writer points us out. And who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Don't don't you think sometimes that the Christian life would be easier if you'd like seen a few more miracles? Yeah? Just with a bit more sort of splendidly magnificent going on in your life and you think, "I, I follow Jesus. I'd be much more obedient. You know? These people said, says our writer, they they were there. They'd seen the the Nile turn to blood. You know, they'd seen the frogs and the gnats. They'd seen the hailstones the size of footballs. They'd seen all the the, the plagues. They'd seen the darkness. They'd been there on the morning that they woke up to the screams of every household in Egypt as every firstborn son of the Egyptians was put to death. Can you imagine the noise? They then walked out. They've gone through the Red Sea, piled up on either side, watched it smash down on the Egyptian army. They've snacked on manna and quail. They get to the edge of the promised land and they go, no thanks, not going in. You could have been a Christian for the last 355 years. You'll be sitting on the back row if you are. 355 years. You still need encouraging today because it's called today. Because look at what they'd experienced. And verse 16 says, all of them rebelled. There were only a handful of of the Israelites who didn't rebel at that stage. However long we've been a Christian, we need encouraging. I need encouraging. Just because I get paid to do this, it doesn't make it easier. Encourage one another because of who you are. And lastly, make every effort to enter rest. And I'm going to change the title. Make every effort to enter rest. Because finishing matters. Finishing matters. Look at chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Big Billy died this week, didn't he? Billy Graham. It's great. The BBC accidentally proclaimed the gospel. I was loving it. Yeah, they started talking about coming to Christ and things like that. They even put Billy up preaching. It was fantastic. Now, a lot of people will say, praise God. I came to faith, say, in August 1954 through the ministry of Billy Graham at Haringey. They put a date on it. The day I was converted. But the writer of the Hebrews wants to say, actually, that's not the day that matters. The day that matters is today. And, and are you hearing, as you hear God's voice today, are you meeting that with faith and obedience? Are you living today as someone who trusts in God's word of promise in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because there is still a wonderful rest to go to. Did you see that in verse 3 of chapter 4? Now we who have believed enter that rest. Now, that's, that's not the rest of the, the promised land, Canaan. 
No, the Israelites didn't enter that rest in Numbers 14 because they rejected God. No, there is another rest, says the writer, a rest that that promised land pointed to. In fact, it's a rest that we heard of from the beginning of the Bible. Have a look at verse 4. What does he say? For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. In other words, when God finished creating the world, he enjoyed rest. That didn't mean that he he, he sort of put his feet up and did nothing. It means he enjoyed the world he'd made. Especially he enjoyed his relationship with the pinnacle of his creation, human beings. God was saying, yeah, I love this. I'm loving them. I love this world. They're loving me. This is rest. This is great. So so when the Israelites refused to go into the promised land in Numbers 14, they weren't just rejecting Canaan. They were rejecting God's future promise for actually a perfect rest to come. Because, of course, if you know your Old Testament history, later that second generation under the leader Joshua did go into the promised land. But, But that wasn't perfection. So much so that we've already seen David, 300 years after they go into the promised land, writes a psalm saying to the people there in Canaan, look, today if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart because you might miss out on rest. Not this land we're living in, but something better. Something better than Canaan. Well, what is that? Well, look at verse 9, the writer tells us. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works as God did from his. There is, says the writer, a Sabbath rest. A rest we can enjoy with God forever. A rest like he enjoyed on that seventh day. A rest where we enjoy a perfect world. Where we have a perfect relationship with God where we know him as he knows us and we know his love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ fully and wonderfully and beautifully not rest is in terms of you know the eternal sun lounger doing nothing but rest is in terms of nothing to struggle with anymore no more yearning no more dissatisfaction no more pain no more suffering No more death. No more tears. As a friend of mine rather beautifully put it, no more hankies, no more hospitals, no more hearses. Because we'll know God perfectly and be at rest. Now here's the issue. Do you want that? Do you want a a world where all you know is everything you enjoy now exploded into infinity and eternity and everything that brings you pain now gone forever do you want that is that a rest worth fighting for a rest worth straining for because look what the writer says in verse 11 of chapter 4 let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience this sound familiar again no one, not one of us. Well, let's, let's get us all there. Are you coming to rest? Can I help you get to rest? Is, that, is a happy day if you're a Scot yesterday? Slightly, slightly less happy if you're a Welsh. 
Yeah, but did you see, anyone see the rugby? Shame on you if you haven't watched the rugby. Okay, but uh, in the rugby yesterday, Scotland beat England. And uh, that brought a, a lot of joy to the Scots staying with us. Did you see the intensity of those games if you watched them? I mean, they, they were hammering into each other, you know, for 80 minutes, putting, putting their bodies on the line. And did you see the, the way they went about it? I mean, there was, there was backslapping galore. Even when someone made a heinous error, the first thing would his teammates would get around him and say, doesn't matter, mate, yes, come on, let's go, it doesn't matter, let's keep going. When the Scottish bloke scored a try, all the replacements appeared to be on the pitch as he scored the try, congratulating him, almost before he touched the ball down. They were in it together. But, but there was only one moment that it mattered whether they had more points than the English. The moment Nigel Owens blew the final whistle. If, if England had managed to score a few more tries or, or the R- Welsh had, had continued to come back against the Irish, the previous 79 minutes and 59 seconds would have been entirely irrelevant for the Scots if they had fewer points at the end. And do you know what they were putting all this effort and the strain in for? This Silver Cup, Calcutta Cup. They get to keep it for a year. That's, that's what it was all about and a bit of glory on the telly. Now, there is only one moment, says our writer, when it really matters that that you are meeting God's promises about Jesus with faith and obedience. The moment when you go to that final rest. That, so so you've got to keep going. Today is the day it matters because today could be the day you're going to be with Jesus. And tomorrow it'll be called today and that'll be the day it matters whether you're meeting it with faith and obedience. So so make every effort, because it's the final whistle of life that matters. The final whistle, maybe, when the Lord Jesus returns, that matters. And and we're not doing it for a tin pot cup and, and a bit of glory on the telly. We're doing it for eternity in paradise. But if I came down to you now, you know, can you imagine me turning up in your house on Monday morning? Come on, let's get the Bible out and read a bit of the Word of God. You'd think I'd gone bananas. Let's have a huddle at the back. Let's do some, yeah, let's all make it to life group this week and not get a bit too tired and jib out. Yeah? If I got that intense about following Jesus, you'd think, oh, well, it's, you know, it's just not very British, is it? But, but that's what, what the guys, that's the sort of language that our writer is using. Make every effort, strive for. To, to get to rest. Let's all get there. Come on. We're all going to get there? Can I help you get there? Who, who was sitting back to me last week? Where were they? Come on, let's get a rest. Because it only matters on that day you stand before Jesus. And do you see God's weapon in, in encouraging us? It comes in verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, now, I don't know about you, but I reckon open heart surgery with a double-edged sword is not going to be a pleasant experience. And that, that's what God's Word does to us. We hear His voice. He opens up our heart. He shows us our sin. And then we've got a choice, haven't we? Do I harden my heart? Or do I admit that I'm like that? And let him pour in the healing balm of his grace. That's what God does through his word. So often we want the 
the feather duster of God's word. Oh, oh Lord, stop tickling me. <laughs> well, tickle me a bit more. I'll feel a bit better about myself. But he doesn't. He gets out the sword and goes, ha! And then we've got a choice. Either we go, oh, you're right. Okay, I'm sorry. I need Jesus. Or, stuff it. <laughs> I'm doing what I want because I know best. God uses his word to open up our hearts. And it's much better to, to let his word open our hearts now and to respond by trusting him than, than to experience verse 13, which is to experience the day when nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know, we might con our neighbor, we might con the pastor, but we're not going to con God about our hearts. And so the writer says, today, if you hear God's voice, don't harm your heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus because of what he's like. There is no one beautiful. There is no one better. And encourage one another because what you're like, we need each other to do this. I can't do this on my own. You can't do this on your own. And make every effort to enter rest because it's the finish line that matters. And do you know Hebrews, it's, it's like a chain really. It goes from one section to another to another. I love the way Hebrews does this because look what the writer says next. This is the beginning of next week's passage, 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. In other words, make every effort because Jesus has done it all for you. It's a beautiful bit of Bible logic, isn't it? Make every effort because Jesus has done it all for you. So what do we need to do today? If you've heard God's voice, don't harden your heart. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is our, our apostle and great high priest, that he has done it all. We thank you that he is the one who has made us into holy brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed of us. He's made us into your people through his atoning death at the cross. Please help us to fix our thoughts on him. And help us to help each other to do that. To recognize how quickly we drift away from him. And to encourage one another. To spur one another on. Because in the end, Lord, what we want is we want to see every single person here, every single person we know who, who trusts the Lord Jesus now, or maybe who doesn't trust the Lord Jesus now, we want to see them all enjoying rest forever with you. So help us, our Father, by the power of your Spirit, to not harden our hearts to your voice. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. Well, I'll ask uh, 